Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Santo, joined, as always, by the Han Solo to my Luke Skywalker. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how are you doing? Uh, I am doing roguishly delightful. Yeah. Did you shoot Did you shoot first, though, or did George Lucas uh, take that away from you? You bleeping know I did. <laughs> and our, our, our very own uh, Jar Jar Binks, Misa Eric Ronnebeck. How are you doing? <laughs> Uh, uh, you know what's funny is I've tried to go back. I haven't tried. I've gone back and I've watched two of the first three prequels. I'm trying to go back in order and watch all that stuff. Whew, it's tough. I've only seen the first one. I've actually this is like bad because I really like Star Wars and I would consider myself a a fan of the movies, but I've never seen Episode Two or Episode Three. Uh, you're not missing anything with Episode Two. I'll say that I've seen ep- parts of Episode Three because like you know how they used to marathon it on Thanksgiving all mm-hmm. the time. And one time I was at uh, Thanksgiving and they, they were watching it for some reason. And so I've seen like the back third of that. <laughs> the bad <laughs> dialogue is at its height in Episode Two, though. That's I've seen that part where he jumps up behind those guys and says hello there on a gif before. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I like I like that. Uh, all of the dialogue in episode two is best out of context. Yeah, like when uh, you know they're the the love interest. All those scenes are just so terribly terrible that they're great. All right, so it's the off season now. Uh, we're diving into off season content, and we're gonna workshop a couple of uh, off season segments. If you enjoy these segments, uh, please please let us know. Uh, in the you know you can send us a message on Twitter on Facebook. You could. Go to the Patreon, send us messages, get in that Patreon group chat, and then let us know pretty directly uh, how you feel about it. So the first segment we're going to try, we're going to try one. It's called uh, Take take Zone, Take Shop, Take take On Me. Uh, take? Take On Me. I like that. Like, what about, aha. Oh, what about da, da, Take da, 3? Da. It's a riff on Espen's Take 2. Okay. I, okay. Yeah, Take 3. I like yours better. But what though. I'm going to do is I'm going to find three takes from Seahawks Twitter, and I'm going to let the, uh, the boys react to them. I'm just going to read a tweet. Basically, and then uh, let them let the uh, Kevin and Eric say how they feel about it, and then of course uh, myself as well. We're gonna start off with a little flashback to last week. Uh, Eric was not here, and I think that he deserves to have a say in this as well. But uh, Joe Fan at Joe underscore Fan, he's a uh, writer for Sports uh, CBS Sports Northwest or NBC Sports Northwest. Sorry, and he says people are still discussing the Seahawks decision to punt on fourth and eleven. So I decided to put pen to paper in the playoffs alone. Seattle converted four of seven on situations of third and 10 or longer. That's 57%. Here's why Seattle should definitely have gone for it. And he writes, I think, a pretty good article that you should definitely check out. Came out, I think, uh, last Tuesday, uh, um, going into kind of the numbers on why they should have gone for it. So starting with you, Eric, do you think that the Seahawks should have gone for it right there? This is the biggest complaint I've heard about this game. And I don't. I don't think we should have because it was fourth and long. Fourth and long is never a guarantee and certainly not a guarantee with this team. Uh, We really had got the offense going a little bit at that time, but it wasn't something that you could just rely on. We did wind up getting the ball back. That's reason enough for me to say. Actually, no, I'm sorry. We did not get the ball back at that point. Um, It's been so long. And I try to forget this game. No, we shouldn't have. We should have let our defense try and take a stand. We definitely had our opportunities there, including letting them convert a third and long. So, no. Okay. Kevin, you kind of already said your piece that you're on the fence about it, but you lean towards what the, de- the decision the team made, correct? Yeah, the longer I've had to think about this, I understand the critique. One thing I'd like to put out there is if we'd have gone for it on fourth and long and not gotten it, I think 90% of the people that are really vocal right now would have been really vocal about how dumb it was for Pete to go for it. I think like 
five to 10% of them are using actual analysis and 90% of them are just ragging on someone after it happened because they can. This wasn't fourth and three. With that being said, it was fourth and 11 coming off of a sack about three minutes left. We had all of our timeouts and the two minute warning in our favor. We needed one stop on two drives and almost got it. I, my, uh, yeah, I, my take on this is, is that, it's kind of a wash. Uh, you, if you punt, it's not great, and if you go for it, it's not great either. <laughs> neither yeah, are the best thing neither you do are is very good on fourth and situations. 11. So my my take is you should leave the hand. So since I think it's a wash, I think it's a 50-50 choice. I don't think there's a a one hundred percent correct answer. You want to leave the ball um, on the foot of your best player. I want to put the ball in the hand of my you best player, which is it. I want Russell Wilson to keep the ball and go for it, and that's the only reason. Is I think I don't think that it's a it's a clear. Uh, one is right and one is wrong. When you hear people arguing about this on Twitter, everyone wants to paint it as if it's like a perfectly black and white. There's only one correct decision here. Um, if if the Seahawks punt there and then they get the ball back on that third down, let's say um, uh, Delano Hill actually gets over top of that throw and then they <laughs> they break it up on third down and now they've only they've only taken away 30 seconds of the clock and you got the ball back with two timeouts. I don't think anyone would say anything about that decision to punt. Exactly. So it's. It's um, it's just because that it failed that that people really want to harp on it, and that's really result oriented. And I I'm not saying that it's like I said I think there's you, a good argument you dig, in, you dig into the numbers and it's pretty close. It's a pretty close decision. There's a good argument to go and there's a good argument to stay. I like the idea of keeping the ball in the hands of your best player. So I would have gone for it. I would have stuck with Russ and just went in there and tried to get the first down. But I don't think that 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 the that Pete totally threw the game away by punting there. I think that's a ridiculous overreaction and uh, and something that I think people need to chill out a little bit about. Okay, you ready for the next tweet? Mm-hmm. Do All it. Right. Ben, at Ben B. Baldwin, uh, like, uh, the Athletic Seattle, really, uh, really smart guy, uh, writes for the uh, His film the room is excellent. Uh, yeah, and he does like really good uh, like, like data charts, data chart things. Uh, so anyway... Uh, they're pretty cool, but he says Seattle's insistence on being run heavy wouldn't be so frustrating if they actually did creative stuff like the 49ers do instead of just bashing their heads into a wall. All right, Kevin, what do you what do you think about this tweet? So is it basically the run game needs to be more creative? I don't even under- so that's the thing that I think frustrates me the most about this tweet is that it doesn't say much is that like okay the we want our run game to be more like the 49ers like so use outside zone almost exclusively or like only <laughs> have a way better offensive line than we currently have yeah but- I'm not I'm not exactly sure what the tweet is like what do you mean it's very clear he, he, he's our- he he okay here's the thing I think that this the Seahawks right here they run a lot and Ben is very critical of that consistently on Twitter. I think pretty consistently. And that's a reasonable stance to have. And I think that's a reasonable stance. And I don't think that the creativity level of the runs is the problem. That That's my biggest problem with this tweet is that, like, the 49ers are not that creative when they run. They, okay. They, like, they are not that creative. That everyone's, Let me put it this way. And everyone's like, oh, what a ballsy call to run on third and eight in that, in that, that towards the end of the game. Like, that is... A great what, job when the Packers can't tackle. Great job. Yeah, they, you... I don't. And That's then, again and then very. Kyle Shanahan had like the worst justification for it too. Did you hear it? He said like sometimes you got to run into those into those uh into when they 
um, into those bigger fronts, or sometimes you got to run when they expect it. Which is literally something that Pete Carroll talked about before last season, and everyone laughed at him like he was yeah. a moron. I mean, I, th- I still think it's dumb. <laughs> I'm not saying that it's not dumb. I'm saying you got to pick whether it's dumb or not. Like you, you got to pick a corner to stand on. And, so something I'd like to bring up uh, about the run game this year, I think uh, Penny's health mm-hmm. was a big issue. He was dinged up early in the season. He came back on the bye week, week 11. He had 36 rush attempts. And then he only played in, I think, three more games before going on IR. And he got up to 65 rush attempts. So he ran in three in the, his last three weeks, he ran as much as he had in his first 10 weeks of the season. Chris Carson's not a guy that you're going to toss the ball to very often. Like, I'm not trusting his hands like that. And that's not really his game. We had a couple of creative plays where it was like a kind of outside toss sweep and things to get guys on the edge. The problem was that our offensive line and running back health was so up and down this year. And also at the end of the season, I mean, Marshawn Lynch, it was great that he was back, but boy, he, uh, he did not have it. He did not. He was not hitting the the holes like Carson and. It was Penny, a boost to the Penny fan Penny base. Were. That was about it. It was a it was a nice boost to like team morale and get everyone feeling good. But and to get a functional body in there, like he wasn't a horrible running back. Eh. He just wasn't on the level of what you need in that scenario. In that I, scenario, I think he was pretty bad. I would very below average. I mean, I think the evidence points to that. He had one or two good runs on twenty or thirty attempts. It's not great. My. He had two yards after con- he had a little over two yards uh, per carry after contact. Are, but that was mostly bolstered by bigger runs. And those, those, it those was are problematic. those are Homer Homer numbers. I'm not just kidding. So so the um my my big thing here is the I wanted to dig into this tweet in like a different way, which is that I wanted to think what's the biggest difference between the Seahawks run game and the 49ers run game, and the biggest difference is Kyle Yuschik. <laughs> They have a player who allows them to run out of two back formations and not be at a potential disadvantage because he is an excellent pass catcher, we'll have a an, second e- point. an excellent run blocker, and just changes the way that they are allowed to play offense. And um, and in, and then other teams have a difficult time dealing with it because there's not very many Kyle use checks in the NFL. So it, it allows them to run and be successful in a way that other teams can't and other it's, and it's really hard to plan for. I can't practice for Kyle use chicken practice because you know who my fullback is. It's Nick Ballore. So I can't prepare for that because Nick Ballore, Nick Ballore, Nick Ballore is not as good <laughs> as, as that. Or a lot of teams right now are using guys that play like eight snaps of defensive tackle as their primary fullback and stuff like that. So they're not ready for a full-time fullback who is a catching running and blocking threat. And so, yeah, cool. I just, I think it's really, uh, Really tough to compare San Francisco's run offense, a team that plays out of two back sets all the time, to our team who plays out of two back sets about eight snaps a game. And then you add to that that we have our only true blocking tight end in Will Disley out, and they have. Oh, you know, you're just, just gonna Kittle. ether my boy Fant like that? I'm I'm sorry, I can't. This cannot stand, Kevin. <laughs> I said our only true blocking tight end, not our only true pass catching offensive tackle. Okay, all right, all right, that's fair. I think that's fair. I mean, he did tiptoe that one on the sidelines. That was the a highlight of the season. Yeah, that was when he tried to. T- <laughs> that was still impressive when I think about right it. And wrong reasons. Anyway, I I would love to see Ben do like an analysis on like the uh, like 
San Francisco in two back formations versus every other team, just because that that kind of thing is that's stats that are hard for me to dig up myself. I don't have access to things, or if I do, I don't know how to get at it. I'm not smart enough. I'm too stupid. So, so because I think I, I think I feel like from watching San Francisco play that that is the biggest difference between them and other teams is that they play two back formations a lot and they're very successful out of two back formations. And in an era when Everyone, most tight ends are glor are like extra large wide receivers they have a tight end who can who's like who an block. offensive tackle yeah he can in block, the run game really block and that makes a really big difference too so you now you have a two-back set with a dude who's a bruiser in there at fullback and you're functionally running a big set that they have to respect the hell out of the pass catching ability right of the extra every guy in the field every guy in the field can bust a wheel route and beat you over the top like it's that's not, the problem for other teams it's, yeah it's no joke and that make i think guys like uh like Hayden Hurst, Dallas Goddard, uh, George Kittle, like these tight ends that can actually block, but still are excellent pass catchers. That's the, that's kind of the, it's going to be a new wave in the that's future. That's the gold standard right now that everyone people, wants. People are going to be looking to play two tight ends and, and, you know, mix up their formations and you're not going to know which guys are blocking and which guys are running. All right. Last one's a, one to make you mad. You guys ready? Yep. Um, this Wait, is, do, I want to, I want to do oh, my take on that. Oh, oh. sorry. I felt, like, I felt like we talked about it. <laughs> no, so no. Long. Yeah, I, I know. Like, but I, I got to take it at face value, and the fact is we didn't have the horses to do any of that. And if he's asking us to do that in that last game, no, you can't do it. Yeah. The only reason why we ran it was to run play action yeah, just and to, to keep it honest. I know we, we'd kind of ship and sail on it, but I got to make just, that just point give, known. Just like, to kind of give up a I play. just see a lot of frustration in that tweet, and so I have to address it at what he's saying. And what he's saying is it's a frustrating hot take. All right, here we go. You ready? This one I actually responded to on Twitter. So, uh, okay. It's uh, Evan in Seattle. Evan Hawkblogger. Someone that uh, everyone in this room loves dearly. All right. Seahawks fans, you want the truth? The 49ers are here to stay. They are currently our daddy. The Rams are too. Future for cards looks bright. Seahawks aren't the top dog anymore. They're not scary. They're not impressive. And they're not innovative. The status quo can't remain. All right. There you go. There's your Eric. I'm gonna let you go first because you're, the, you're, the, right you're the emotional heart of the Seahawks Nest podcast. So I want you to take that first. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So this status quo, I'll take that as Pete Carroll needs to go. Um, let's address first the 49ers are a daddy. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, when you beat a team once and you lose the second game at home on a technicality where where I, every guy on your team is where hurt every guy you on your have, team is hurt, you don't have Quandre Diggs, that, you don't have all these to to say slow down with that take is more or less like you're being stopped at a checkpoint for that take. Uh, second, the the Cardinals' future looks bright, does it? Because they don't have a top ten pick this year, so I'm really not sure it's that bright. Uh, Kyler Murray didn't impress me that much, and I'm sure he's going to get better but I'm not sure he's Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, or any other young quarterback on the scene. Uh, a James Garoppolo, maybe even, with a great offensive line, because they still have to fix that. The Rams, two years ago, we talked about how the Rams had a two-year window to be in the Super Bowl. Uh, how did that work out for them this year? I'm not frightened about the Rams at all. They should probably finish last or close to it with the Cardinals next year. On to the Pete hate. Here we go. Now that now that I'm putting logic out of the way, I'm going to go with my heart with a little bit of logic. Pete Carroll is really frustrating. His offensive game plans, uh, the way he coaches with his offensive coordinators is very, very disappointing. We just hit it with the last question. We have players like Rashad Penny when he's healthy. These are all guys when they're healthy and Chris Carson that are um, really great. They're two totally different backs, but they're not going to give you that two 
back set that we talked about with the same explosiveness as the Niners would have. We don't have a player like Christian McCaffrey who's like a super back. Even that team doesn't run a lot of two-back sets because they did look into that. They don't run them successfully like the Niners do. So you have to take a what we have at running back. And you have kind of a classic setup of a uh, ground and pound and an outside guy. On top of that are tight ends. Pete Carroll, where he is frustrating, is, and this is evident in Super Bowl uh, against the 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 New England Patriots. I'm sorry, it's so hard to get out because it still hurts. It really does. Where we chose to not run the ball and we did a pass over the middle. I don't even hate a pass in that play. I just don't like that pass because you're asking our fourth receiver, Ricardo Lockett, to block out any safety that could come in. It doesn't matter who they had, Brandon Browner, Malcolm Butler. It doesn't matter. He had to execute a play, and that's not someone I trust. Pete says if you're on the field, no matter what time you're on the field, you are expected to do your job and do it well. And Pete, I don't think, really understands that sometimes that's not going to happen. And in important situations, Pete will put a David Moore, a Malik Turner, a Ricardo Lockett out there to run a very important play and it will not work. These are all very, very frustrating things that Pete Carroll does. In the way of our tight ends, he'll say, you know, we don't really have the blockers out there, but you know, they'll block well enough. False. They will not block well enough. Will Disley will, but I'm not sure Will Disley is a full-time NFL player. That's another podcast that Kevin can cry and yell at me about. That's fine. We all love Will Disley in this room. We love the promise that he has. It'd be nice to have George Kittle and call him Will Disley because that's basically what you have. But the fact is we may not have that guy. So what's frustrating about Pete Carroll? So much. But what's good about Pete Carroll? Before Pete Carroll came to town, you did not have this everyone competes attitude across the NFL. Pete Carroll, on his first day with the players, came in and said, hey, I don't really care what your contract is. Every single person in this room will be competing for their job. That set up a big culture change in this city with that team. On top of that, he stuck to it. Some people will say we got lucky with Russell Wilson, getting him in the third round. I prescribe to that theory, but... This brings in John Schneider, our general manager, a close personal friend of Pete Carroll. These guys are a team. You get rid of Pete, you're probably going to get rid of John. These guys have had banana draft classes. Some misses, absolutely. But bananas draft classes where you can look at the talent top to bottom all these years and you can pick out a handful of bad players, but ultimately game-changing generational players or very close to generational players. Think of Frank Clark, who's no longer on this team. That guy's a great pass rusher. That guy's going to the Super Bowl with the Chiefs. What did we do? We had to get better, so we traded him for draft capital. Not only did we get draft capital, but we got Jadavian Clowney because the way our front office works. That is a powerhouse. So for better or for worse, we probably have Pete Carroll for two more years. And if you say, well, I just can't deal with that. Okay, well, let me pose you this question to you. Who are we getting in his place? Let's just say Pete Carroll wants to retire right now, or John Schneider will fire Pete Carroll right now. Who are you hiring? Whatever name you're coming up with, are you sure? Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame coach uh, Bill Cower. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, built Tony Dungy, built on the back of Uh, that one Super Bowl he didn't deserve. Peyton Manning. Uh, Yeah, uh, Tony Romo. 
<laughs> Are you sure you're going to get that? Are you sure that guy's going to be great? Booger, Booger, Booger McFarland. <laughs> Coach Boog. Uh, <laughs> Come help us, Coach Boog. My favorite team is being coached by a grown man who calls himself Booger. That's what I have to say about this. That's okay. a little long drawn out answer, no, but you went you went off off the reservation. I'll no, but I, I think all those are very tweet. fair points, and I think it addresses it because anyone who comes up with that hate, I'm like, okay, I'll, are you sure? I'll start with this. I think Evan uh, is a very emotional tweeter. Does not uh, does not overly consider what he says because he instantly posted like I don't know, 15 minutes later, like John Schneider's the goat, and we have like a bunch of cap room and draft capital this year and we we can we have the opportunity to get better i think he just like you know he, he's just an emotional tweeter just go puts it out there just puts out he'll put any take out there and let, let it breathe and that's fine I, it's good that people like that exist because it gives people stuff to talk about right and for me um this take mostly blows because of the rams part the rams suck uh <laughs> the rams are dedicating like 50 percent of their cap to four guys and they're not going to be. There's they've no, got a great recipe for nine and seven. There's no chance in hell Cooper Cup doesn't. Cooper Cup's not coming back next year without a new contract, and he's worth like I don't know eighteen, nineteen million dollars, right? I mean, I think most people would agree on that, considering what like everyone else gets. So, and they're giving tons of money to Brandon Cooks, who they can't stay on the field. They're giving tons of money to Todd Gurley, who can't stay on the field. They gave, they're giving $36 million next year to Jared Goff, who I don't know if you've seen Jared Goff play NFL quarterback, but he's bad. Their and left tackle is gone. the corpse. He, no, he's gone. Whitworth is gone anyway, even though he I, he is below average now or average. Well, but he, I'm saying like he's he, he's probably retiring. Yeah, he's, he's even done. Even if he wasn't leaving via contract, he's probably leaving via age. LSU's all-time highest paid NFL player, though. Uh, suck it, Odell. So so uh, <laughs> so my, my big thing here is that is that the Rams are screwed? They're terrible, and I—they're not definitely not our daddy. Uh, the 49ers are good, and the the this offseason will be this. It's a turning point for the franchise, and I think if that's what this tweet is about, he's right. The the it, this is a turning point offseason for this franchise, where if we cannot get retracked with the draft capital that we have and the sixty million dollars in cap room, then yeah, we're we're pretty screwed. But the fact of the matter is, is that this team spent 15% of its cap, more actually, on Doug Baldwin and Cam Chancellor last year to appear in zero games and won a playoff game and almost won another one. So I can't really say that this year didn't far outstrip my expectations. And a lot of that is because Russell Wilson kicks butt. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I I, uh, I think this is a turning point for the... My, my take on this is that this is a turning point year for the franchise. And we can go one of two ways. We could have a great draft, sign like four dudes that are awesome, and be right, be better than the 49ers again, take our spot back. Or if things go poorly, we sign the wrong guys, we have a bad draft. Yeah, 49ers are probably our, our daddy <laughs> for, ne- for, so ne- for next season. I just doubt it, though. John Schneider has shown an ability to get guys in here, to buy into the culture, to, to pick the right guys. And I think it, it it's going to be an awesome offseason. There is so much defensive line talent available in free agency this year, and there's so much offensive tackle talent in this draft that it's hard for me to believe that we can't get things fixed unless we just suck. So if we suck, then, yeah, we're screwed. But, <laughs> but uh I don't think we suck. I think John Schneider's the man. This is going to be an awesome offseason. This team's going to come back really strong. Quandre Diggs, I think, was a turning point for this season in terms of how good the team started playing on defense, how much better the team started playing on defense once he got here. And uh, you bring in a cornerback to challenge Trey on the right side. 
You bring in a bunch of defensive linemen to get in the rotation. You bring back Quentin Jefferson. You uh, you let you let uh, all the linebackers walk, so you only have to play two of them. Maybe even cut KJ to save cap room, so you just have Cody and Bobby. Because I really don't think three linebacker sets are the future of this team. Amadi came out at the end of the season. You can always play some big nickel with all these safeties you got: Diggs, Brad, Blair. Um, yeah. So that's my that's my opinion on that. All right, Kevin. I, I think if you look at what people are frustrated about when it comes to Pete, it has a lot to do with play calling. So I kind of dove into play calling to take a look at something. So on offense, one of the biggest critiques is we're such a run-heavy offense and that that doesn't change. So I went ahead and checked that. Just taking a look at the last two years, it was comparing with the same offensive coordinator to take that piece out of the equation. In 2018, we had 526 rush attempts. In 2019, we had 474. So we ran the ball less as an adjustment. In addition to that, Russell Wilson dropped back 100 more times. Uh, uh, 454 pass attempts on 588 dropbacks in 2018. 577 pass attempts on 690 dropbacks in 2019. So... If the narrative is going to be that uh, he runs the ball and doesn't make an adjustment, that doesn't really support that narrative. Now we go into the second layer. What's the thing that Russell Wilson's amazing at? Well, football, but specifically deep passes. So passes 20 plus yards downfield, 56 attempts in 2018, 97 attempts in 2019. Deep ball QBR, 128.1 in 2018. 119.2 in 2019 on almost double the attempts. Deep ball passing percentage was higher this year. Uh, Deep ball passing touchdowns were lower, but what we're seeing is the offense is opening up. Russell Wilson's being given the reins. He's being allowed to pass more, and he's being allowed to pass deep more often. So that supports the fact that the offense is changing. There's a shift happening. The offense is growing in ways that modernize it. Now, does it have a ways to go? Sure. But to say that it's completely stagnant and stuck in one way, I think is ignoring the evidence. The other thing that's frustrating on defense was the three linebacker set snaps, right? This year we had 649 snaps for Kendricks and 253 snaps for Barton, mostly in place of Kendricks or KJ, and then over 1,000 snaps for Bobby and KJ. Whereas last year, we were cycling linebackers like nobody's business. We had a ton of injuries at that spot. And we had 716 snaps for Justin Coleman in the nickel. So I think what happened on defense has a lot more to do with Pete Carroll's tendency to go with what he trusts as opposed to Pete Carroll favoring that three down uh, that three linebacker base defense that much. If you look, the numbers, linebacker snaps to DB snaps from 2018 to 2019 are basically a mirror flip. And so what that's telling me is they didn't trust, health they didn't and trust, experience. Uh, they didn't trust Amadi as much as they trusted Justin Coleman. That's exactly what it is. That's, and you can't blame them for not trusting Amadi that much. You can think they should have trusted him sooner. Yes. The, by, week, by week eight, 
they should have said, okay, we got it. We got to figure this out because the linebacker thing's not working. That's, I think, the thing that makes me the most frustrated. Which is definitely a frustrating factor. Or, okay, fine, if not week eight, then the bye week. And even then, it still wasn't where it should have been. And, yeah, I get it. Shaquille Griffin was out. And that was when we started struggling with Quandre Diggs being healthy for week 16 and 17. But I understand the frustrations. But I think the frustrations have some really logical answers that are being ignored with a lot of these fire Pete Carroll takes, it's not taking into account that what we're looking at is a systemic change from the type of coach who is dedicated to doing things the way he thinks they should be done. What you hate about Pete Carroll is how consistent he is. And what you love about Pete Carroll is how consistent he is. And you've got to take the good with the bad. You end up firing, like what Eric was hinting at, you end up firing a coach like Pete Carroll and you want to bring in somebody who's different. How often does that not succeed because you're forgetting all the things that Pete Carroll does well? You don't want to bring in a dirt bag, do you, Kevin? <laughs> a guy's uh, going to throw your kicker under the bus. All right, so this I think this, thing, this dovetails into what we want. So, like, we have a ton of cap room, functionally... 50 to 60 million dollars depending on you know if Britt comes back if kj comes back if if we don't change anything we have about 50 if we cut a couple guys we can get over 60 million dollars worth of cap room so are there what what position groups eric are you are you looking at as the ones that need the biggest push the position groups that that need to be improved for the seahawks to make the leap from a solid playoff contender which is what they are now right a, a yeah. team that's contending for a playoff spot to a team that can win a, a one or a two seed and get to the get to the Super Bowl. And just to make it clear, in the last like eight Super Bowls, one and two seeds have played each one or two seeds have been the teams that represented the AFC and the NFC. It's been a long time since a non team that didn't get a bye got to the Super Bowl. So what's um what what are we looking for to get back to that point? Okay, are you looking for just one group? Or no, do you want me, an overview? Give, how about you just give me one at a time and me and Kevin will talk about maybe like some of the things that we have planned for that. Okay. Uh, I love that. I, I can, I'll i flip a coin here because I feel like these first two are very important. I'm going to go defensive line. Okay. So for for me personally, uh, I think that the defensive line should be improved uh, primarily through free agents. And that's because this year's uh, free agency class is really good in in the along the defensive line. There Especially edge players. Including... In, you know, including the, our guy, Jadavian Clowney, who we could definitely bring back if we wanted to. But there's tons of other guys. We could also bring back Jaron Reed. Jaron Reed is a, a guy that's available. Um, but there's tons of guys. Uh, Robert Robert Quinn, Shelby Harris, Mike Daniels, Michael Pierce, uh, Kyle, Van, Kyle Van Noy, if we wanted to go light on the on the. And these defense. are guys that we could bring Ryan in Williams, without Jason breaking Harvey, the bank. DJ Reader. Some of these guys are going to make sense. Eric Armstead. Like, and... Here's what I would do, okay, personally. I bring back Jaron. Um, I think Jaron is going to be surprisingly affordable the more I look at it because there's so many interior defenders hitting the market and he's coming off a bad season. And if you can lock him up long-term, awesome. If he's like, I need that one-year $8 million prove-it deal, I don't blame him for that because he is coming off a bad a bad season for him, a season where he got suspended, and there's a ton of interior defenders on the market. Then I'd pick two guys. I'd pick one edge guy. That is like a pure rusher, a Cliff Averill type. And I would try to get one of these interior guys that can play end on first and second down on running downs and be effective. So for me, that edge rush guy, I want Yannick Ngakwe. I think that he's perfect coming on the field. 
keep him off the field on first down because he's really bad against the run, but put him on the field for second and third down and let him do what he does best, which is get pressures. Uh, 2017, he had 82 total pressures, 14 sacks, 15 QB hits, and 53 hurries. Um, and he's just, in the last two years, he's been good, but not that good. So I think the Seahawks could get him in that com- competition mindset, get him back to that 2017 level. He's only 25 years old. That's the, that's my number one on my edge wish list. Interior, I want to steal Eric Armstead from the 49ers. Um, he's very productive. He, he's kind of guy that's versatile, like, like Michael Bennett. He could start on first down on the outside and be an effective edge rusher on first down pass plays and then kick to the inside and be an effective interior disruptor on passing downs. That's why I think Armstead is such a perfect fit for the Seattle Seahawks. Um, he also would slot in nicely if we like re-sign Quentin Jefferson as like those guys could spell each other and keep each other fresh. They would, they kind of complement each other. So those are my, uh, that, that's how I would approach the defensive line this off season. I don't think you need to spend a draft pick on it. You just hope that Rasheem Green and, uh, and, uh, oh my gosh, TCU's defensive end that we drafted last LJ year. LJ Collier. LJ Collier continue to develop and can kind of fill out the rest of that rotation with the other guys that I just said. All right, Kevin, what would you do? All right, so I'm looking at, I want a, I think you need a top shelf guy as a pass rusher um, just to kind of anchor the rest of it and make it work. So I'd want to either re-sign Jadeveon Clowney or if Everson Griffin comes available, I'd take Everson Griffin. Um, Everson Griffin is a nice thought because he doesn't affect the the um, calculation for compensatory picks, compensatory picks because he'd be a cut player. Yeah. And he's very likely to get cut. The Vikings are already over the cap and the offseason hasn't even started yet, and they don't have 52 players. Or the other guy would <laughs> be Eric Armstead. So, yeah, Armstead would be great. It'd be I such think, a coup to take him from the 49ers, too. And that would just make it a little sweeter. I think any of those three guys to anchor the outside pass rush. And then a few guys I highlighted. Uh, one is Robert Quinn, who's kind of a pure pass rusher at this stage in his career, like you said. Um, bringing back Quentin Jefferson. I think Emmanuel Ogba, who's... Uh, on IR for Kansas City right now, but has kind of shown his ability as a complimentary pass rush piece. You'd like it because he'd be cheap too. He'd be cheap. Uh, Shaq Lawson is going to be a free agent out of Buffalo. He's a guy who can be an every down defensive end who, again, probably not your primary pass rush guy, but a really good complimentary piece. He's that dude that we wish we had all season to kind of be a steady hand as a pass rusher. So your plan is kind of re-sign Clowney and then get a bunch of like these like boomer bust complimentary pieces. That's, I want to get and hope, one hope a big guy and one um, complimentary guy. Yeah. yeah. And, or uh, another guy like is Ronald Blair, who's kind of the fifth wheel at, at edge for San Francisco right now, who I think has shown enough promise that in a slightly expanded role on a team like Seattle, he might end up having a big deal, like a big few years. So we can maybe sign him for a smaller deal as a chance to give him that opportunity to be like a featured pass rusher. All right. So, and then on the interior, I want kind of the same thing. So I want like Reed, uh, Javon Hargrave from Pittsburgh or DJ reader are all guys who can kind of get after the quarterback from the interior, especially Hargrave has shown it repeatedly. And then a guy like Danny Shelton or Andrew Billings from Cincinnati or Ajon Robinson, who had a bad year last year, but has been pre- been pretty decent for uh, Detroit. Those are so kind of another guy who's going to sign in that like eight to ten million range at D tackle, and then a 
two to three million, like an Al Woods plus type guy and bring that in to sure up the interior. All right, Eric, what's the next position group? That you um, okay, let's go, let's go flip right on the other side. Let's go offensive line. For me, offensive line, they need to get healthy. That's step one. And then in terms of that, you let Fetty walk. I, th- I think you have to just let, because a Fetty is going to get a dumb contract. I'm already kind of feeling that. Someone's going to give him 220, and we're going to, yeah. or maybe even more than that, maybe like 222. And people are going to be like, huh? What? And you'll just shake your head and then walk away. And I, fans probably going to, someone's going to give a speculative, you know, six, seven million dollar contract to you. And I'm not into that either. So for me, um, I think the interior guys is a good rotation if everyone's healthy. Um, I like the way Phil Haynes looked in the last game. I want to see that developmental project start to bear fruit. He was someone I was excited about before the season started. So give him the starting job next to um, next on the left side, next to Dwayne Brown. Your left side is solid. At center, you have a camp competition between Britt and uh, oh my god, Hunt. I'm, I'm kind of sick. So I, yeah, <laughs> like my Britt, brain Joey Hunt, or well, not Joey Hunt. Joey uh, Hunt's the backup, no matter what. Then yeah, Britt and Posich. Britt and Posich are competing for that starting job, and whoever wins, you you let that go, and then you cut Britt if he loses that competition. Then you use the extra money to maybe sign a rotational guard or something like that. Was he cuttable or is he absolutely? He's cuttable, and you'd save like eight of the eleven or something. Eight eight point six million, I think, is. The I don't know if he was in line for a new contract or if he was he's a free last agent. year of his old contract. And, then, and yeah. he did not play well this season when and he was healthy. And he didn't play that well last season either. I'm wondering if you don't just cut him to begin with, like then, you oh. draft a guy. Make sure that you have another body to compete at that spot, and then call I it. I think a day. Hunt is honestly fine as a as a backup. It's he's not the guy you want to trust for an extended stretch of time. But if he's playing for one game or two games, it's not going to kill you. Uh, he's not going to single handedly lose you a game over the course of a season. You probably don't want to go there. But uh, then right guard, you know, you let Fluker and Iapati fight to the geriatric death there, and then and then at right tackle, you'd have to re-sign Iapati for that to happen. Then, yes, exactly. Yikes! Then eh, that's going to be cheap. And then at right tackle, but worth it. Right tackle, you uh you go to the draft because this is an all-time great tackle draft. And normally I'd say I trust John Schneider's judgment in which tackle he can pick, but I don't actually trust it anymore. So I want him to draft Mackay Becton, and that that's all there is <laughs> to that. Um, Mackay Becton has uh, I, actually honestly, there's like eight guys here that I think are really great and potentially could be, um, you know. Very, very good values for us at, at, at where we currently sit in the first round. Uh, but Becton has the most fun tape. He basically murders people regularly, uh, and it's fun to watch. And I'm for that. He looks really athletic and, and he's huge. And just as a developmental prospect, like starting him at right tackle and then having long term our plan be on his second contract to shift him over to Dwayne's spot. And as Dwayne goes into the, the retirement age of his career, is a perfect succession plan for the Seahawks. So that's that's kind of where I'm at there. But like like I said, Wills, Werfs, uh, Prince Tenno, Wanago, Trey Adams, Austin Jackson. There's like so many guys that are really talented tackles in this draft. It's it's a it's like last year. We can get someone that slips like we did with DK. Someone's going to slip that shouldn't. Like Becton. Becton should be a top 15 pick in my opinion, just from watching him play. And he's gonna go in the late first round. That's that's good for us. We can reap that benefit. Um, that's my uh, my opinion there. All right, Kevin, what's your plan for the O-line? Uh, so I think I want an interior guy and an exterior guy. So I'm looking at the free agent class. The interior free agent, uh, Ron Leary. Brandon Scherf, right? Brandon Scherf. 
Uh, Joe Thune and Graham Glasgow are all free agents. I really like Graham Glasgow, who's been playing for Detroit. And I think he could be a really good fit because he could play both center and guard. If we were able to pick up, pick him up, and he's been effective as a starter in the NFL at both let, spots. Let him, let him join the geriatric fight to the death, and if he if he wins, good. If he doesn't, he can back up both center and guard. Yeah, and the thing is, he's a bit of a kid, so I think he has a good chance at beating them both out because he's only like twenty six. Oh, beating the beating the uh, the old timers club. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and so then we could end up with a youth movement on the interior of the line, a youths. Um, the other thing I like as a possibility would be bringing back a guy like Fant or Daryl Williams who had a bad year this year playing all over the place for Carolina. But in the past, he's shown that he can, if he's given the right tackle job, he can hold it down. Um, Jason Spriggs is another one who didn't play this year as the third tackle for Green Bay. But he's a guy who I think would be an interesting potential pick um, that could end up taking that swing tackle spot or fighting it out for right tackle with a rookie. So I want to pick up a guy for both of those spots, and I want to draft a guy for both of those spots. I want to bring in a lot of bodies and create some real competition in there. So then draft, I think you already covered tackles. Um, this is a really good tackle draft. In the first couple rounds, there's a billion guys that you can get, and you name some of them. Becton, Trey Adams, name some. They're really good. On the interior— Who's your, who's your favorite? Like if you— if like let's say let's say for some reason no tackles have been picked when the Seahawks been picked, no tackles. Okay, fine. Yeah. Andrew Thomas from Georgia. I see. It's it's Wills or Thomas because uh, available Thomas, when we pick in the second round after both, trading down. They're both so good. No. Thomas Thomas fits the Seahawks better. I, th- I think Thomas fits the Seahawks better because he's he's way better in the run because game. Andrew Thomas will unhinge his jaw and eat a defensive end for in the run game. He's in, insane. Yeah, and in the past game he's good. Yeah, he's good, but in the run game, he's like plus plus. But when he when he gets matched up against really fast guys in the pass game, Andrew Thomas, he can he can take L's. And, yeah, and uh, and if I was like only going to, I mean, but they're both so good. Yes, they're both going top ten. It doesn't matter. But that's the thing: <laughs> Thomas, Wirfs, Wills, Jones, Becton, Jackson, Adams, uh, want to go. Uh, the kid at LSU that just declared, yeah, I can't City, think of his name. Sadiq Charles. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Alaric Jackson. Like, there's just, there's dudes. Um, and the odds of one of them not being there that's pretty good th- is low. One thing I liked about Sadiq Charles, and this is from watching the bowl, the bowl games at the end, you know, is that he sometimes he'll just fire out of his stance so quickly that the defensive end will not be ready for it, which is just hot stuff. That's yeah, like, he'll just get your chest quick. He's like, oh, dang, he was in that guy before he was ready. He, he won because he was so quick. So if you get like him and then you get like Spriggs or Williams or Marcus Gilbert or Fant, if Fant doesn't get a bunch of money, and you have the two of them duke it out for the right tackle job, and the other one becomes a swing tackle. I feel like that's a really good situation. So then the other piece I want to do in the draft is a um, couple guys I really like. I want to get either a center or a guard, whatever the team thinks is the better one to pick up. So uh, Ben Bredesen out of Michigan is um, a really powerful run blocker. Um, he's capable as a pass blocker. He's not an elite athlete, but he's one of those guys who's really good at knowing what his job is, getting to the second level. He's strong enough. Um, he's good at getting low and digging somebody out. He's good at like getting his hands on a guy and turning them in the hole. So suddenly like their front is to the play and they'd have to go straight through him to get to the running back. Um, Jake Hansen out of Oregon playing center. 
is uh, has really good size. Um, you're you're really disappointing me here because I just expected you to go straight to Nick Harris. To be honest with you, honestly, I'm not sure Nick Harris is a great fit for us. He's I see him long term as more of a center and less as a guard. Well, he's definitely a center long term. But, but but he's played both in college. He's not a huge guy either. Yeah, he's like I just don't know if he's the type of offensive offensive lineman that Solar, uh, Solari likes them. To. He likes them athletes. He doesn't he doesn't he doesn't like to go with the the he he would be a weird fit for what Solari seems to like because look at Fluker, look at Iapati. He likes the the guys with the freak athletic profiles, the big beefy beefy boy Phil Haynes. Yeah, great exactly. example. Beefy boy Phil Haynes is a great example of the kind of guy. So no, I I didn't go with him because I just don't think he's a fit. I I got the UW reference in with Trey Adams when you weren't paying attention. I heard it when the tackle when the tackle <laughs> that the tackle I also part. think Trey Adams just fits what we want to do. He's a mauler in the run game and a really good pass protector. So. Uh, I basically I want to do two dudes in free agency and two dudes in the draft. Okay. I want to throw bodies at both lines. I like that. Can I like that pick quite Can a bit? Can I make a, an overall statement that I think you should we, that we should all be thinking about is that other than at a couple positions, this team has holes basically everywhere. There's not one position group where I'm like we definitely don't need one of those, except for maybe like linebacker and obviously quarterback. So for me. If I was in the position, John Schneider's position, I'm kind of letting the draft come to me a little bit and really trying to pick off guys that I feel very strongly about. So like for example, I'm just going to give an example of a guy that I feel really strongly about. But if it's getting close to when I'm picking in the first round and Grant Delpit is still available for some reason, and I feel really strongly about Grant Delpit, I don't care that it, that I have safeties that I feel good about. I'm going to go get Grant Delpit because he'll make our team better because Anything's an improve. Anything can improve our team right now. It's not like we're so stocked up all over the place that drafting cornerbacks is going to hurt the team. Well, yeah. It will help the team. So for me, even though I'm saying like, yeah, I would target this guy in the first round. This is a situation for the Seahawks. They're in a unique position where they can really draft just the most talented, biggest home run guy that they can think of at every single point in the draft and take W's for that because those guys will be able to play and contribute basically immediately. Well, I would like to say, like, uh, kind of the same thing. Uh, Bradley Ane, who's an edge rusher out of Utah, he's a guy who could be there in the middle rounds. Even if we sign a couple edge rushers, like, yeah, bring him in. Well, this uh, is... If uh, Uter Gross Matos from Penn State is there at the bottom of round one, yeah, I will take the plus pass rusher at the bottom of round one. Easy. This is easy to think of what John Schneider is going to do because we've seen it a hundred times. The end of round one might be available to us. We might trade down. I thinking. We I mean, will, but we might we've not. We've taken picks at the end of the first round. Yeah, it's happened. Uh, but one thing that will I'm happen... I'm already on the record as saying we will trade into the beginning of round two and then back into the end of round one. Okay. <laughs> Though Something that John Schneider likes to do also is grab that big name. Maybe that's re-signing Clowney and maybe another name. And then you're like, what else? And nothing happens until the draft. And then we pick... We fill up those holes with what's left. Uh, what's left still in free agency, people that thought they were getting the big deals and are now changing their asking price, and then cuts. Where we're at at that point, I don't know. Uh, I'd like to move to wide receiver now, because I think that's probably the third area for us. I'm going all draft. Uh, I want to maybe sign a guy who is a deep threat, like a Foster from Buffalo or something. But this is a stacked wide receiver draft, especially for outside guys. And I want to target some guys and throw a couple of bodies there. I want to re-sign David Moore, too. Stacked is an understatement. And the thing about that is, is that you don't even have to go early. Like, there are guys that are going to get picked in round two of this draft that will have DK Metcalf-like impact. Yeah, in, T. Higgins in, might be a second one. or third round pick. That's dumb. 
Um, uh, Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, Jalen Rager out of TCU, who's just like like Donovan, speed pills. Yeah, Donovan Peoples Jones, like just these guys who are just awesome, or like guys who had like. Another thing too is to think about is guys who had like five star high school profiles, but then never got like Donovan Peoples Jones is a good example of this. He was so good in high school. He goes to Michigan. Michigan has garbage tier quarterbacks the whole time he's there, basically, and he never has like the top top production. The tools are still there, man. He's there's a reason he was still a five star prospect two years ago or three years ago, you know? Yeah. So and like that kind of stuff uh, is just something to look at. All right, um, is that it? We done with that segment? Yeah, unless you want to keep going to different positions, but I think we'll have enough off-season podcasts to do no, that. There's plenty of time for that. All right. Yep. If you like to support the Seahawks Nest podcast, there are many ways to do so. The best way, head to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest for a little dollar twenty-four a month. Get access to uh, our extra bonus content with our uh, – we have an extra podcast we put out every week. Thanks to our new Patreons, Joe and – Brandon, love you guys. You guys, uh, thanks for joining the team. I saw jo- uh, Joe and Brandon both jump straight into the group chat, which is in the Ooh. pinned post right at the top of the uh, the thing. The old patron. Um, the thanks to all of the people, uh, the high paying ones: James, Tom, Lucas, Carrie, Richard, Bob, Kieran, Brett, Mike, Flocktimus, Keith, Michelle, Brian, Frank, and Nick. Everyone just bringing it. Um, also, a uh, new year, so make sure to check that your credit card wasn't declined because that's happened to like four people. So, uh, all right. And then, uh, oh, if you don't want to do that, head to iTunes.com. Uh, give us a review. iTunes reviews are really helpful. Uh, someone went through and just put like <laughs> iTunes review, five stars, great. And it was the title and then podcast or like very good. It says very good, which is <laughs> 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 pretty, just pretty funny. Um, so thanks to everyone who went on there. Uh, if you have if if you have constructive feedback, you know just uh, just shoot us a message on Twitter. Uh, I'll try to fix it. I promise. Uh, and then uh, that's it. Movie club. Uh, we wanted to finally turn the podcast off if you haven't seen the new Star Wars movie because we're about to talk about it. Uh, Eric, and we will spoil. Yes, Eric. Eric I said I was going to let you drive because you probably were going to be the most reasonable about this. Uh, so go ahead. Uh, I guess new Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. Where to begin? Um, this is the third part of the newer trilogy. I have a, a problem saying this is a standalone movie. It's a continuation. I like this movie well enough. It is if J.J. Abrams was brought in to tie everything up in a nice bow, and he took the package of past material, he put a beautiful ribbon on it, handed it back to them, and they said, Did I- did you wrap it? And he said, I, I put a bow on it. And then he walked away. That's my review of The Rise of Skywalker. My succinct review. Um, okay. Because I, I, I can't really extol the virtues of this movie. And I can't completely can I, crap can I all say, over it. So the, I got to hand it back The a little problems bit. with the movie started in the first, like, 30 seconds of the movie. Well, the problem with the, the first movie wait, wait, wait. was the way they did everything the, in 30 seconds. The problem in this... I'm, I'm going to... I haven't rated this movie yet, but here we go. Okay. So the problem with this movie is in the first 30 seconds of this movie, though, Eric, that they, they start. Because Palpatine coming back, this should have been <clears> like an earth-shattering revelation or something that happened on screen. And it happens in The Crawl. Okay? That is bullshit of the highest order. Okay. It seems fake almost. It's like... 
it makes it seem like it's a fan fiction. It's not. It's like does not. It doesn't. It's it's so insulting to the you as a viewer. It glosses over the details. Yeah. It's like wow, awesome. So we're just like trying to. We're just doing this to get there, huh? It's just like a means to an end. Uh, it's I don't know. And then the, and then I just felt like there was this this thing in the movie that kept happening where it felt like jj abrams was sitting next to me in the theater and every time something would happen like lando going i have a bad feeling about this and jj abrams just elbowed me in the side and went hey remember remember that you remember that <laughs> that's a common and I, review. and I just wanted to look jj abrams straight in the eyes and go you know why don't you go find something pointy and you know screw yourself with it because i was so tired of it and he the thing that i think made me the most mad was that I understand that a lot of people hated The Last Jedi or didn't like The Last Jedi, but it seems like no one hated it more than J.J. Abrams. Yeah, the guy who that made, was a shock to me. The guy who made the third movie. And I think that also was very frustrating to me because you're trying to close up a trilogy. These movies are supposed to have a coherent arc, and he just took a diarrhea dump over the middle part and then didn't do any... any any. He probably felt like he was fixing the problems, but he was just making them so much yeah, worse. Yeah, he was making them worse. It's my understanding that J.J. Abrams helped pick... The Ryan, director Ryan, Ryan Johnson. Uh, Ryan, Ryan Johnson. Johnson. I was gonna say Ryan Adams. Uh, that's my Brian mind. Adams. Brian Adams. He'll do anything for love, Kevin, but yeah, he, won't he won't do, do meatloaf. Um, <laughs> no, but didn't he pick Ryan Johnson, or wasn't he on that yeah. team? So I feel like there was some betrayal on both of their parts. Ryan Johnson did not respect the source material in the Last Jedi for the most part. Um, or at least there was a an idea of disrespect there, and J.J. Abrams had to fix that. I don't really want to crap all over The Last Jedi because there's so much wrong with that movie, but there's certain moments that people complain about that I'm like, no, 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 that was fine. All that Luke stuff, that was fine. I don't care about that. Um, trying to steer it in a completely different direction in the middle of a trilogy that needs to get wrapped up or uh, towards the end of a nine-part saga... It, that was probably the wrong move. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. What they should have done is let Ryan Johnson do his new trilogy without touching this one. I think it would have made a much more cohesive yeah. story and over this would three have movies. Been, this would have been just like the bang average member berries yes. trilogy where right. like JJ. Which Ver is exactly what episode seven was. Makes you member stuff. Are you ready for the hot take? Yes. Um, it's because JJ Abrams likes to leave stuff in other people's hands so he can't be blamed bad for not having um, an idea that he can see through. And I'm so. I, I'm I don't so even know if that's a hot take. J I think that's. JJ Abrams. There's evidence to that. JJ Abrams basically directed this movie like it was an episode of Family Guy. Another thing Reference to something that you liked in your childhood. Mediocre joke. Fast forward. Repeat the same thing. Reference to something from your childhood. I don't know here. how to film space action, so I'm going to be way too zoomed into the spaceships. The the <laughs> the, the the thing for me too uh, on this, like like Kevin just just said, like there's an incoherence to what's going on here. Like, well, the first third of the movie, the use of light speed skip was the perfect thing to say because they light speed skip through an entire movie worth of plot lines. And it was basically like J.J. Abrams going, here's what my second movie would have been, but I'm not going to take the time to explain any of it. I'm just going to staple it to the third movie. Yes. Kind of hack out haphazardly. Or I'm like going to glue the, glue the macaroni noodles of the second movie onto the third With one. these super hard, like, jarring cuts that pull you completely out of it. I felt like I was watching a series of Star Wars movie trailers. Yeah, there were no new characters that were explained because they couldn't explain the old ones. There were too many characters. What they are you had talking no about? What there was with. Lando's 
daughter and or love interest (laughs) that they both cut scenes that would have explained but also just didn't explain i i like to think there were also horses in space yeah well yeah they explained that so well didn't they my favorite counter to that is why didn't they just like tilt the star destroyer slightly to the left and have them all slide off into nowhere the best answer for that kevin (laughs) oh because they're in space (laughs) yeah this movie had so much wrong with it i guess i want to talk about still still made a billion dollars though of course and they knew it would they just need to have it make sense enough for people to roll their eyes my comp for this movie is um avengers age of ultron Ooh, that's great. That's uh, really great. It is a hot mess with a lot of potentially interesting things in that they just like barely dip their toe in and we're like, you got all the things you wanted to see on screen at the same time. Isn't that good enough? If I think you, that's really good, Kevin. If you really want to shut your brain off and not think about it, the movie is kind of fun, but it's it's not good. And if you think about it for more than like five seconds, it really starts to, to, to break down and... Uh, yeah, it's just un, unbearably The bad. problem with the prequels is that there's too much plot with terrible dialogue. Rise of Skywalker had... There was like... It's four, kind of a plot. There was like two... And no time for dialogue. There was like multiple better Star pieces of Star Wars media that came out this year than this movie. Uh, just just for... Right off the top of my head, the Star Wars Fallen Order video game and the Mandalorian were much better Absolutely. Than, than this movie. So it's it's tough to, for me to well, be Well, both like, of those are great because they have... So you can't say Star Wars is dead. Star no, Wars they is, have semi-original ideas that pay just the right amount of fan service, whereas the the Rise of Skywalker was nothing but fan service. Like, oh, we're going we're gonna to crap on Last Jedi too, just to make sure you remember that. Well, and I think Nathan said it for me uh, really well, was he's like, look... I'm not going to spoil the movie for you because before I'd watch it, he goes, but my biggest problem was it felt like every emotional movie, every emotional moment in that movie was completely unearned. Yes, absolutely. That's great. And I think you summed it up really well with that because. And and that tweet. Yeah. And and the Ray Star Wars. Let's let's talk about that because we're spoiling it. So the talk about this tweet, this meme, basically. So let's go. Let's go further back. So. Last Jedi, Last Jedi picked up on the uh, riff from the first movie to come up with um, Ray isn't of an important family. She's not a Skywalker or anything like that because you don't have to be because that's not how the Force works. And that was kind of this interesting concept. And I know that there are some people that were in their mom's basement really angry about it, but you know they can stay there. Um, and it was a interesting idea, and it was a direction that they chose. And for no real need, because I get that they tried to make it plot-centric, but it wasn't meaningfully plot-centric. They made it so that she was now a Palpatine. And then somehow that made it so that she was connected to somebody who was part of a different bloodline that isn't connected to that bloodline. But now they're connected because they're connected through the force of being important characters. Well, it's, it's focused so much on legacy. It's funny about that, Kevin, is... One of the early episodes seven uh, missed, I guess, the art ideas was Palpatine or a dark robed figure hanging from like this this contraption, kind of how Palpatine was, like he was almost like puppeted by this giant mechanical ob- object. And I'm wondering if they wanted to bring Palpatine back the whole time. And then when JJ was looking at episode nine, he's like, you know what, we'll bring him in and we'll just make her a Palpatine. Why not? Let's do it. That makes so much sense. 
And you're like, JJ, that it really doesn't. Um, the end of this movie where Ray chooses her last name, that is a perfect example of an emotional moment that is not earned. Because I get it. If you to- tell me the last line in the movie, Ray is basically, you know, burying the, Jedi the, the, Order. the symbols, the symbols of what has come before. And, you know, she's on Tatooine. And at, through everything that's happened, this old woman basically asks her her name and Ray just chooses to adopt the Skywalker name. You're going to be like, oh, I can't wait. If you tell me that at the beginning of episode seven, and that's how that's how the trilogy ends, I, I'd probably, I'd be just so impressed. And that's what happened. And the road to get there was. I laughed. Oh, it was crazy. Out loud it in was, the theater. I was just confused. I was like, yeah, okay. The joke sure. that I posted in the group chat was that she, she, the lady was like, say your name. And she's like, Ray. She's like, what well, your whole name? And she's like, looks back at the can Ray Star Wars was the joke that I posted <laughs> in the group. Cause I mean, that's basically what she said. She said her name was Ray Star Wars. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of logic in this. It doesn't make sense. Is it fun? Like Nathan said, yeah. If you're going to be a total nerd about it in Star Wars, like a lot of us are, like I am. Uh, you're gonna find. You're gonna really have to search to enjoy it. It's just there's a lot of lazy choices. Why do they have to recreate the climax scene from Return of the Jedi? But this time it's different because they're in a dome instead of on a star. Why does why does no. dark why does Dark Ray have fangs? I mean, well, because some... she's because she's evil. <laughs> that's there's, that's a simple reason. It's the same reason why she put on uh, eyeshadow. Nathan, I got to I got to watch this on a screener on my computer. So so uh, you know. I maybe had a different experience than most. I, I don't know. The eyeshadow is just bigger in the theater. It's because uh, it. I, I got to stop and every time something happened, I would just pause for a second and like really ponder. I'm the huge <laughs> what I was doing with my life. I'm the huge like uh, I guess we're all kind of nerds in this room in different ways, but I'm more like the uh, the comic book nerd and the the Star Wars nerd. So since then, the only thing I'm trying to think is like, why did she have a yellow lightsaber? Is it just to be like? Oh, new lightsaber color. Cool. Because that's the only thing I'm thinking that's of. That's kind of what it feels like now, isn't it? And it's, also, why did she go to Tatooine? Uh, to return the swords. Why? That's the only That's the only thing that kind of makes sense. Just because to return them to the uh, to the Skywalker Who cares? area. But why? That's but not the area that they no identify why. with there's in no way, way. Form. Also, you, Leia wasn't, wasn't there ever. That's what I'm so, saying. So, yeah. Like, there were just so many decisions that were so lazy that you're in the theater in real time, not even reflecting on it and going, this is incredibly half-assed. It's so a Jawa can find it in 20 years, Kevin. Um, right? When okay. Kylo turns back into Ben and they do it with Harrison Ford because <laughs> now he has <laughs> to be a force memory yeah. because they couldn't get the sign-off for I... CGI Leia again. <laughs> and so like Leia's like, I'm going to die now in order to summon my husband's memory, I that, guess. Um, okay, let's just let me just say this. Though. I'm incredibly optimistic about the future of Star Wars from this point forward. I want to be a be- bunch of singles. Because I think the universe is really good. There's a lot of cool world building here. And I don't think that there's anywhere to go from the last movie but up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, the last movie I rated the same as I rated episode three, which... That says something. This is this is the best way I can sum up everything it's, that we can maybe. I've only seen episode one, but I think this might be the worst Star Wars movie I've ever seen. It's not that bad because I think not episode as bad as episode, episode one is worse. 
to I me. I like it more than episode two as well. Episode one has cool action, man. Remember when they chopped Darth Maul in half? Yeah, remember cool. when Darth Maul's in the movie? I haven't seen episode one since episode like 14. Episode so. Darth Maul's great. You're looking at episodes four, five, and six started in 77, ended in 82, 83. Then you had around 2000, episodes one through three started. And then 15 years after that, you had episode seven, eight, nine. You have, Nathan, your favorite, Too Many Cooks going through this big, long legacy storyline with George Lucas picking up, you know, 20 years after the fact to start this all over again. And I'd argue that was a different George Lucas yes. than the original Yeah, George because Lucas. that's the thing. He was, he didn't have anyone editing him or telling him no. So you had basically three groups of people doing different stories of the same storyline it's gonna be a complete mess you should have expected this all right anything else that's it i'm done all right uh so that's it if you want to tell us how stupid we are you can head over to twitter at seahawks nest for kevin for eric we'll see you next week go hawks eric's hawk nest also the chiefs are gonna win (laughs) 